What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, recording this on Monday, October 17th, the week regular season basketball is finally kicking off as the Memphis Grizzlies will be hosting the New York Knicks at 6.30 p.m. Central Time, which also could be on ESPN. So first time ever, the Grizzlies are having their season opener on national TV. So that's really some cool stuff there. And um, to just preview this Wild season under the way. We got a great guest, but before I introduce him, let me tell you how you can keep in touch with the blog and with the podcast. So Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SB Nation covering the Memphis Grizzlies. You can find it on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SB and Grizzlies. And you can follow the Grizzly Bear Blues podcast network where you can find every single episode of GBB Live, the Next Gen Podcast the starting five podcasts, four, four podcasts, and soon starting on Wednesday, Grizzly Bear Bets, a betting podcast for every single game day. You will not want to miss out. It's wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, Apple, Google, however you get it, the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network will be there. Once again, I'm your host, Parker Fleming. And with me, I got a writer for the WNBA, Dime Up Rocks. He also is a podcaster for Indy Cornrows. The SB Nation blog for the Indiana Pacers also has a podcast with Tag of the Roll. He also does daily ding stuff with The Athletic. Probably the most versatile basketball writer on Twitter, Mark Schindler. Mark, how's it going this afternoon, man? I'm good, Parker. I appreciate the intro, man. I'm glad to connect again finally with the season starting back up. But uh, I'm good, man. I can't complain. How's everything on your end? You know, we're about to get some basketball, some actual basketball. I'm not – I mean, I already kind of went crazy a little bit over preseason. I – came out with a 2000 word column on preseason basketball, but <laughs> you know what? I'm just ready for the real deal to be here, but, and we got a lot to talk about because, you know, everybody's dropping their season preview, their predictions, their, their awards predictions their standings predictions. And really with the Memphis Grizzlies, it's kind of all over the place just because of um, the small shakeup they did. Uh, they, uh, traded away DeAnthony Melton for Danny Green. He won't be available until February in a first-round pick that turned into David Roddy. And they let Kyle Anderson walk as well, relying on the internal development of guys like Santi Aldama and the draft picks of David Roddy and Jake Laravia. Jaron Jackson Jr. is supposed to be out for – when the news came out, it was four to six months. But now it's looking like it's going to be closer to like four or five. So – uh, Coach Jenkins actually said today that he should be doing some five-on-five stuff in the next couple of weeks, so that's exciting. So, Mar, just in the midst of everything in the Western Conference, I think the theme in the Western Conference is just there's just fresh. It's just all fresh because you have the returns of guys like all-star, superstar guys like Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Jamal Murray, Zion Williamson, but you also have these – and also, too, Anthony Davis as well. You have teams that made some big moves this offseason with the Rudy Gobert acquisition. And then you also had Christian Wood going to the Dallas Mavericks. There's just a whole lot of stuff that happened. And I think in the midst of that, everybody kind of dings the Grizzlies for their lack of activity. So, Mark, where would you just kind of, when you're assessing these teams, where do you value continuity and internal improvement in the midst of all this moves and all these healthy players returning because it's not like this is an old team just running it back. Like this is last year they were the second youngest team in the league and they're just running it back. So where do you kind of value those two things 
in relation to all the flurries that we get throughout the off season? Yeah, that's a good question. I, um, you know, I think that's part of where I struggle a little bit with doing uh, off season stuff is because I feel like often people put out things that are binary. And that's not the, you know, shit on them for that. Like, I just personally think like it's a lot less concrete than it tends to get made out to be. Like, I think yeah, if you're looking directly at this and saying, well, Jaron's going to miss the first couple months, and he was huge to everything that they did defensively, um, and just in general. And saying, like, just going from there, like, yeah, and then they're losing Melton, too, was a top eight rotation player last year. You can be like, well, they're, they're going to take a step back. And, and But that's without accounting for, like, okay, well, Zaire Williams probably sees some real improvement this year just based on what we've seen in preseason and um, what he looked like in summer league, just the flashes that we saw last year and what, what we can expect moving into this year. Um, I think, like, th- again, like, you don't want to take too, too much for preseason, but, like, Santi Aldama's looked really good. Dante um, season that's right yeah i think that's what's what's interesting is like i feel uh i don't quite know how things are going to work uh in terms of quote-unquote replacing what d'anthony melton was for the team but i think it's more so like you're just getting a lot more vers- versatile front court players like mm-hmm. adding david roddy like you mentioned like he can kind of play everywhere um like granted it's still going to be a very young team like there's a ton of rookies on this team um and not not that all of them are going to play but um, I just think that there's a lot you can look at and be pretty interested in how it's going to function. Um, I, I mean, maybe I, I'm probably less high on, not that I dislike Desmond, but I just think that in terms of asking Desmond Bain to take another sizable leap on top of what he's already done, like, I feel like that's asking for a lot personally, but even like looking at Ja, like, I think we saw a lot that I was excited about in the preseason that I watched with Ja really working on the floater. Like he's had it in the bag, but I think like, he has it going from looking like something that defenses are pretty willing to give him because they don't want him attacking the rim mm-hmm. uh, to now, like with how much he's really working on it. If that hits, like instead of being like a 40 to 42% shot, if he's shooting like 45, 46% on floaters um, and is really just working in more pacing and tempo, like that does a ton for the offense. Um, so I think that there's a lot of ways that you can look at this and be like, there's going to be improvement on the team. It's just going to depend on how much and, and how everything plays out with other teams as well, as far as injuries go. Absolutely. Cause right now everyone's zero and zero. Everyone's yep. for the most part, they're healthy. So there, there's still so much other factors to take into account. No, it's, you know, you bring up the, the jaw element in this and like the improvements that he can make, because you know, you look at a guy who took this super stardom leap and you're like, well, how could he get better? And you bring up the floater. Everyone's going to talk about the three-point shot. But I think the real thing that stuck out is in preseason was his defense. You know, with losing Melton and losing Anderson, you lost a lot of defensive event creation. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like Jaw kind of like took that upon himself. I want to say he averaged 2.6 stocks per game. And just it seemed like whenever he did create an event on de- defense, it always just turned into a bucket on the offensive end whether it's him taking it himself or him leaking out in transition, having somebody outlet to him. It, that was probably the thing that, to me that kind of stuck out there the most, but also too, and the biggest factor in this internal improvement and in making up for the losses of Melton and Anderson is Zaire Williams. And Mark, I know you're high on him. I see like your tweets and I saw him in your big uh, Twitter thread of things you're excited yeah. for, for this season. So what's the thing with, Zaire Williams, you're gonna be looking for in this in this season because 
you know, he gets unfairly pegged to have this Desmond Bain leap. When Desmond Bain took a incredibly difficult leap, he he kind of took two leaps in one season. Mm-hmm. So kind of gauging expectations for Zaire Williams when you're accounting for the losses of Melton and Anderson, where do you think Williams can add value to kind of offset those losses in a sense? Yeah, I think the idea, and and I think some, well, again, like based on what we're seeing in preseason and how they worked him in in summer league and just what feels like the next logical step is like just having him uh, based on what his shooting could be. Because I think the next step is him really improving his efficiency just as a shooter in general. Um, Like having some secondary creation come out of that. Uh, Working, like you you saw them really trying, like they're running drag screens for him and, uh, in early offense when he brings the ball up like I think that there's room to add in like really like small things like that that don't necessarily mean that you have to run the offense through him but it gives him opportunities to um, create shots uh, because he does have like the he has some some really interesting passing ability he has some ball handling shots um, we know what he can do as a mid-range scorer I think it's a lot of just ironing out the consistency um, so I think it's a lot of like doing the same of what they did last year but mm-hmm. just steadily incorporating a little bit of extra stuff um because like i i something i actually want to write about because like last year i felt like the best way to put it is he was kind of like king of the corners like everything like i feel like one of the things you could rely on every single grizz game was to see zyre williams sprinting to the corner like every every freaking game every time that there's an opportunity to get down court he's doing it um everything he did was operating out of the corners like they they really didn't do a ton of stuff with him handling the ball last year um, it was all about giving him a really consistent role, asking him to do small things and just get good at it. And I felt like we saw a lot of that. And that's without even like saying the defense. Like I thought, obviously the defense wasn't perfect last year, but as far as what we saw out of the rookies defensively, like he's really encouraging. Like I think mm-hmm. his navigation and his size is really good. Um, he doesn't fall asleep off the ball all the time. He does some stuff blowing up things on the weak side. Um, so I think that there's just room for him to kind of improve in all facets as he gets more playing time, which maybe that doesn't mean a massive leap. Like, I think he probably ends up scoring like 12 points per game this year or something like that. Like it could be higher, it could be lower, but I think a lot more of it's just efficiency and ironing out things. For sure. You know, the efficiency is one thing that stands out because, you know, for one, I mean, he does have a really strong mechanics, but I mean, also last year he only shot 31% from three and, that was just because, you know, that first part of the season before he got hurt, he mm-hmm. was kind of just putrid from three in that regard. I think he's like sub 20%, but, you know, he kind of came along as a shooter. And I th- want to say towards the tail end of the season, he was shooting. Yeah, he had this breakout game at Madison Square Garden, average about like 21, or he scored 21 points. And from then on, so I think it was like 29 games from that game on till the end of the season, he shot about 39% from three, which if you're adding that kind of guy – Next to John Morant, Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr., that's the kind of four spacer you need. And one thing you brought up too that's really interesting is the corners because it wasn't just like, oh, he's just going to shoot a ton of corner threes. And also, too, he wasn't even that great at corner threes. He was in the 27th percentile and corner three percentage. But he also used the corners to crash a lot and find cutting angles. He shot like 82% from the rim because he just made himself a lob threat. You know, a lot of a lot of teams, they get – caught snoozing on the weak side because they're just tantalized with what is John Morant going to do? We got to make sure he doesn't get to the rim. And that has opened up ways for Zaire Williams to just cut from the backside and catch a lob there. But also too, with 
expanding him and his responsibilities to being more of a secondary playmaker, like you mentioned, it also now allows Taylor Jenkins to ease one of the rookies in or ease Santi Aldama into being that corner role, whether it's Aldama or if it's LaRavia or if it's Roddy, they can kind of follow that similar path. I don't know if it's going to be to the same magnitude as we saw with Zaire Williams last year, but I do think that there's a good framework to kind of just maintain this solid bench chemistry, even though they lost two guys. Yeah, no, this is a good point. And I think what's interesting too is uh, like you can see, uh, especially with San- Santi, like I think you can, like he's a really, like he's not a, a like a class A level playmaker from like the high and low post, but he's a really good passer for his size and position. Then, mm-hmm. and, and I think that adds a lot more stuff that you're not getting with Jaron. Um, like maybe some stuff that you're getting with Kyle, but he's not the level ball handler that I think Kyle is. But mm-hmm. um, just again, like I think you add more looks that you maybe didn't have last year and you can get interesting with like, um, you know, if Steven's not on the floor, I think that you can do some of the same things with Santi, like running post splits or, or having him operate out of the high post and just give looks um, like he's a good cutter. I think the shot was there for him in preseason. Um, again, it's just like kind of figuring out more ways to incorporate guys. And even then, like talking about Jake Laravia, like Laravia is a really interesting driver and um, just kind of off ball wing forward who can do some fun things at the four spot. So it's like, again, it's just a lot of, uh, I think that there are, I want to say there's more offensive versatility while maybe losing a little bit of defensive versatility this year. Not necessarily that I think they're going to be a bad defensive team, but I think, you know, considering what Belton is when he's at his best, how good Jaron is, uh, like, obviously he'll be back, but, you know, just where it's where it's at right now. Yeah, and let, let's talk about the Jaron element with this and how it ties in with guys like Aldama and ties into Jake LaRavia or David Roddy is, you know, they're losing a lot with Jaron Jackson Jr., and it kind of has – determine people's expectations like oh they're going to take a step back because they don't know how long jaron jackson jr is going to be out especially when they're replacing them with guys like santi aldama jake laravia david roddy guys that are pretty unproven like i would throw brandon clark in there but he's going to stay in that bench role that's where he thrives having him and adams is kind of clunky so they're going to go with more of a wing forward rather than a forward big but how does how does Jaron Jackson Jr.'s absence, I guess, kind of um, pencil this team in for you. Like, what what's your what's the difference between them with Jaron Jackson Jr. back by Thanksgiving and with him back by Christmas? And also, too, like, how do you see them making up for the Jackson loss in the aggregate? Good question. I think uh, it's tough because I don't really think you can make up for what Jaron does defensively. Like. Uh, he ended up making all defense last year, right? I know I voted him for all defense. That's right. Um, but, like, yeah, like, I think for me, it's just there's nobody on the roster who can do what he does. So I think that makes it tough. Uh, as far as what they can do, I think you you maybe do some more stuff, especially if, like, you know, you're not going to do the same stuff with Santi. But, like, maybe you have more aggressive ball screen coverages or you're just doing – like, I think we saw a lot of switching um, in preseason, too, just in general. Like, I think there's going to be a lot more – of trying to protect the rim by just preventing the ball from getting there, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, TBD on how that looks. I think that they have the personnel to make that interesting and work. Um, but then offensively, like, I think what makes it interesting is like offensively, again, like, I think that you can just do a lot more that like, obviously when Jaron's at his best, I think that you miss that. And he, 
losing his shooting is going to be really tough because I think that you have guys who can hit shots in the front court. A lot's going to depend on how desire take that step as a three point shooter and, you know, taking stuff off movement too, because there just aren't a lot of movement shooters on this team, which I think can be a little bit of a hindrance to the offense at times. Um, but like, I mean, do you see you're you're going to see a lot more Brandon Clark? I would imagine like that's where mm-hmm. I go. Also, I love the deal for him. I think some people probably got a little bit too excited about it. Like, I still think like I really want to see more happen with this game. Like, um, he's a very good player. He's a good defender. He does enough offensively to really hang and be effective. But I think you know if if he's going to become like a starting caliber player, I think it's uh, by expanding his game even more. Um, well, yeah, like, I mean, to, to fully answer the question, like, I think it's kind of, I don't want to say wait and see mode for me, but it's more, I really want to see what this team looks like over the first couple of weeks without Jaron, just because I'm so used to seeing what they look like with him um, and how essential he is for everything that they've done. Um, like, I think, like, I, I don't think that this team is going to nosedive or anything. Like, I think that there's probably been a little bit too much of the, oh, they're going to fall off. while also noting that I do think they're going to, um, like, I don't think that I expect them to be, you know, hanging around the one seat again this year, just given what the, the, what everything's looking like health wise for everyone. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I feel like it's just kind of touch and go. Yeah. And also too, one thing I, I've been meaning to bring up is it's really, I guess, kind of easy to pinpoint a 56 win team to be the team that falls off because yeah. Like you can't just expect it's hard to keep up with that. You can't expect to be like, oh, now it's 60. Because like what happens when you get to 60? Are you just gonna be like, oh, it's disappointing if they win 60 games or if they win 55 games, it's disappointing. Like there's different there's different measures of success. And that's one thing I want to ask you is without necessarily accounting for like wins and losses or anything, what is in your view, what is the measure of success and progression this season for the Memphis Grizzlies? Yeah, I think to me, success for this team, uh, or at least measuring it is like, okay, well, what steps is Ja taking? Because I think that's the biggest one, you know, is, I mean, he's the most important player on the team. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I guess, I mean, you can you can make the Jaren case, but I think like for me with Ja, like considering how much he drives for the offense, like getting as much out of him as possible, I think is is huge for for him continuing to develop into an actual MVP level talent. Um uh, you know, like you mentioned with the defense, like can the, it, even his defense just coming along a little bit would be huge because for large swaths of last year, I thought he was just about the worst guard defender in the NBA. Like, like um, his point of attack defense is really rough. He can fall asleep off the ball all the time. And the Grizzlies defense succeeded in spite of that. So I think you look at like, okay, well, if he's just getting to like neutral levels, how good that defense could be. And um, but then like looking more at overall, I think to me, it's not even just just job but it's okay how is everyone else on this team progressing in terms of making this half court offense more functional because i think um especially against the warriors you saw real issues with what the spacing could be on the team and less so just spacing in general but i think there was a lot of comfort to um pinpoint guys who the warriors really weren't afraid of beating them um so i think continuing to develop out guys who can do that like and again that's why zaire's health not health zaire's um growth this year is going to be really big. I think, again, just getting – what does David Roddy bring to the table? Because he's going to get reps. Same thing with Jake LaRavia. Like, anybody who has opportunities to really function as a secondary player, I think they're going to get opportunities too. Um, so I'm really interested to see what that looks like. Because to me, it's just 
with this team now, like, not that I, I don't know if I'm ready to call them a, a contender this year. Um, I think like they obviously they were in like that borderline group last year. Um, but when you're looking to see what steps they're taking for the playoffs, like, yeah, I think continuing to develop as a half court offense can be really big for them. Yeah. I've definitely written on that. And I, I've also just from the Grizzlies moves this past off season, you know, Kyle Anderson, not a good half court player. How do they replace them? They go draft guys that can score in a variety of ways in the half court. Like I looked at David Roddy's synergy page, and just about every single metric of scoring efficiency was an A, a or A-plus grade. It was yeah. really kind of just baffling. But, no, I, I think that that's the thing to watch. And I think you kind of brought me to the idea of, you know, the Warriors decided, okay, this guy's not going to beat us, and this these guys can't beat us. You know, I I think they decided early in that series that they weren't going to let Desmond Bain and Brandon Clark beat them like they let Minnesota. They let Dylan Brooks beat them, and I think a big thing this season for a measure of success is I think Dylan Brooks is a key player in that because I I want to see how he's willing to kind of tone on his shot selection because he. It gets lost in this, but he's a very impactful player for the Memphis Grizzlies. I think he's yeah. led the team in on-off rating for the past two seasons. This past season, even though in a very small sample size because of injuries to both him and Ja, they only shared less than 300 possessions together, but they outscored opponents by 21.4 points per 100 possessions. That's really good. And when you have a really strong point of attack defender with an elite rim protector, you're going to have a top 10 defense most of the time. You would have to be, I guess, a house of cards defensively for you not to be a top 10 defense with those two kind of pieces out there. So I think that's going to be a very interesting barometer there. But yeah, I mean, I guess also too, the growth of Zaire Williams is also going to be pretty important in, I guess, measuring success in my, in my opinion. Yeah, and that's a good point on, on Dylan too. I think he gets overlooked too much in my opinion um like obviously the lows for him can be very low um he oh makes decisions that, that 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 warriors game four i think yeah. everybody was ready to just trade him as he got off the plane yeah exactly and i but i think what's so hard is like okay well they don't get to warriors game four without him like yeah like you mentioned the defense is really really good for him as much as it can be frustrating to watch him like i think he had didn't, he like just about fouled out in the first half of the first preseason game yeah i was like that's that's very on brand for dylan brooks but like that's also he brings as much as people like get frustrated with that stuff like it's important like that's that's real stuff like i, I don't yeah. know how else to um like he just brings some intangible in that i, I think like sometimes people can go overboard and expressing how important that is, but it is still important. Like that's very much in the, something that the team missed at times last year. Like there, there was a really rough stretch for their defense when Dylan went out mm -hmm. um, and just not having him there to stop the ball was a huge part in that, um, you know, looking overall to it, what he brings offensively again, like I know people can complain about his shot selection and it can be frustrating at times. He's a very shitty passer for being honest. Very, very bad, but it's but also like you, with what this offense was last year, they needed somebody who could take shots in the half court. There were times, especially in that warrior series where like he was their best option in the half court. Cause Jaws, especially without jaw. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and like when jaw was healthy, like his offensive game is, is good. But like, as we saw with the warriors, like they're, they were content to load up on him wait for him in the paint and try and make him score out of the mid range from three and just wasn't there for him. Like that's right. com compared to what 
Dylan can bring. It's granted, neither are effective modes of offense for the most part, but like when it's getting to the playoffs and like that, it was important. So I'm there with you. Like having him back and hopefully healthy this season is going to be really important. Yeah, I will say too, he did admit to the media that he is going to use his fouls. He will use his five fouls. I'm like, you know what? Can't knock him. Can't knock him for that mentality. But I know on the flip side of things, though, I do want to ask you, you know, um, everybody's pegging this regression and like, how would you measure a regression aside from wins and losses? Cause obviously you'll have stuff where it's like, Oh, if they have bad injury health, any team in the, in the Western conference, except for maybe the Warriors, if they run into injury, like bad injury luck, they're in the play in and that, that could happen for anyone. But, you know, aside from wins and losses, aside from health, what would you kind of measure as a possible regression for the Memphis Grizzlies? Oh, that's a good question. Um, what would I consider a regression for this? If team? you want me to give you an idea, I can I can go ahead and stop my answer first. Yeah, what is your but, answer? Yeah, I, I think it would probably be uh one of the rookies just not being ready to play rotation minutes throughout any course of the regular season. I think the Memphis Grizzlies have fostered a very strong player development environment. I mean the fact that Zaire Williams, who was probably one of the rawest prospects of anybody drafted in the lottery last year, was playing big minutes in the second round of the playoffs is a testament to the player development there. Uh, Desmond Bain's leap. Um, the fact that they really haven't had, you know, just one of those seasons that's just awful. You know, they haven't had one of those like 60 loss seasons where kind of everybody's rooting for losses at a certain point to boost their lottery odds. They've been relatively competitive competitive ever since John Morant arrived in Memphis. And I think, and that's because of how ready these rookies have been, whether that's Morant and Clark or Bain and Tillman or Zaire Williams. I think if we don't really see much polish or anything from LaRavia or Roddy, it'd be kind of a hit just because this team's so reliant on depth. And when you draft that many rookies and they're not, that ready they're not that nba ready it it kind of uh kind of just kills that strength and numbers mentality i guess in a sense yeah no i think that's a good point like i would uh i would agree with that i think if they're if if one of roddy or all well, of both of roddy and Moravia struggle to really have an impact on the team i think that that would be um kind of a loss especially considering like um I'm trying to remember. I, I I apologize. I should know this off the top of my head, but did did they trade down to draft Laravia? So what happened is they had nineteen. They had nineteen and twenty nine. No, no, yeah. twenty two and twenty nine. Traded those up to get Laravia. Okay. Spots, and then well, they yeah, traded back in for Roddy. Okay. Well, yeah, especially when you're when you're making a trade up, like I and considering that Laravia is a little bit of an older prospect. Not that not I don't want to say that that like makes or breaks who he is just by what year one is, but. I think if you're willing to make that move as the team, especially considering like when you're factoring in that they really didn't make any other giant offseason moves, um, you're kind of banking on him or or Roddy to be your rotation player this year, especially mm-hmm. with you know considering Jaron being out early. Um, I think like another thing too, like uh, that I want to see. And granted, like he was kind of a later pick, but what is Xavier Tillman's role this year? Because I think that he really wafted in and out last year after having a pretty good rookie season. Um, granted, part of that was with Steven Adams coming in, but still, like, I I think that 
there's so many guys on this roster sometimes I'm still looking to see like okay what is that one breakthrough that happens that kind of changes the trajectory a little bit and is that a trade is that somebody who really pops again like I, I don't I don't know but um I'm probably not as uh I think some people were like a little bit too harsh on them for not making moves like again like you mentioned they were second youngest team in the league last year and won 56 games like I don't think that they necessarily had to do anything crazy but they are kind of at the point too with when you win like that and are competitive in the playoffs, like you kind of have to still make moves and see what happens. Um, so I feel like I I'm interested just to see how they handle that and traverse that this season. Yeah. Also, I think people in kind of the, the midst of that, they also forget that the NBA all season was literally on pause for about six weeks because of Kevin Durant and Donovan Mitchell stuff. So like, yeah, nothing really happened because, because of that. And, you know, you, you bring up those good points too, but also too, like with all these extensions that have been going on for these veteran players, it kind of dries out the free agency market a little bit. Like I think the only free agent that I was like, ah, oh, man, I kind of wish they would have gotten them was Dante DiVincenzo, who still is at his best, a combo guard off the bench. Like yeah. it's not like they were getting anybody that truly moved the needle for them in that sense. But yeah, I, I agree on that. And, you know, let's uh let's close here with the question of the day. Thank you for the uh, roughly 200 people that have voted on this question. I asked, where will the Grizzlies ultimately stand in the Western Conference this season? Thirty, roughly 32 percent of y'all said top three. 59 and a half percent said four to sixth. Eight to two, eight point two percent said seven or eight. So in the play-in, and then 0.5 percent said low play-in at nine and ten. Mark, what was your answer here, man? Uh, I had four to six. Mm-hmm. I just think that's where I was at. Yeah. I think uh, like, I mean, there's still a chance that they could be a top three team, but again, just with, with how much time Jaron's probably going to miss, I would not have them there. Um, but I also wouldn't be surprised if they make it there. I would be surprised if they fall to seven, seven and nine. That would, that would be like, there's definitely a sizable injury that happens there to make them fall to seven and nine, but I don't think it's going to happen. Right. I, I had four to six. I can see them being third. I, I think for one, this just kind of feels like the same vibe that we got from the Warriors from going into the last season. I'm seeing that same vibe with the Clippers. I think they're just absolutely loaded with depth. I think the I think the Warriors they can kind of have Steph and Clay and Draymond not be full throttle on the gas and rely on the development of a lot of high upside prospects. Denver's really good. You have teams like Minnesota, Phoenix. There's just a lot of teams. I mean, I still think at the end of the day, Memphis is going to be in that four to six range. I think they should be a top six, top six team in the West, but it is going to be absolutely hellacious. That conference is going to be so much damn fun. I'm I'm excited to see how it all shakes out. I think for the first, probably until the trade deadline, probably teams are just going to beat up on each other. And then you would just have those teams that surrender for, Wimbenyama or Scoot Henderson, and then those losses or or those wins are going to start kind of piling up because you all have teams that are just pulling out G League rosters at that point. Yeah, I I think that's going to be very interesting to see the, see this year to say nonetheless. Like I um I part of me like really hopes that we don't see a ton of insane tanking, but I think there are going to be a couple teams that like really go for it. This oh, year. it's going to be it's going to. I'm ready honestly for just the team that's like. They come into the season ready to compete for the play-in, and then they just pivot by New Year's and be like, well, never mind. We don't have it. Let, let's just go all in on this insane lottery. All right. So, Mark, I told you before we recorded, I was going to ask you 
food question. So I think last time we had you on, Joe and I, we talked about barbecue. But another thing that's really kind of emerged in Memphis food scene is chicken wings. So where where are you on wings? Are you more flats, drums? Do you have like any hot takes on wings or no? So uh Hot, my, I mean, my hot take is I like boneless best. Uh, that that always goes over well when I say that. But I uh, I worked at a wing place for a while. I worked at so I was a bartender at a wing place, and I actually kind of hated it because as awesome as wings are, like, uh, we always ran out. I think we always ran out of flats, and people because oh, people I love flats. Bar, you had, yeah, so I had to I had to handle like all the to go orders. So like. Every time you have to tell people that you're out of flats, it's always like, well, how are you out of flats? And you'll be like halfway through doing an order and then somebody like ends up canceling everything or it's just, it's frustrating shit. So like I, uh, I, I enjoy wings, but I tend to just stick with, uh, with my boneless because they're less messy. I can eat them with a fork. So I, I will say you, you kind of, you kind of get a pass there for, your take on wings because i i would bet working at a food restaurant for so long you just kind of get burnt out on any kind of food that they serve but also yeah. i must say boneless wings are chicken tenders i hope you know that that's fine with me like i don't i don't yeah, mind chicken tenders are good like they're good them. yeah exactly oh yeah okay okay cool not not as uh scorch served as i expected that to be it's not like your uh maple syrup take i saw the other day so it's, yeah i have <laughs> i have thoughts on maple syrup we you can get can those for later oh yeah but uh, Mark, I really appreciate you coming on the show and just just plug in uh, anything that you got going on, anything you got planned for the upcoming season. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I appreciate you having me on. Um, it's been awesome to see what you guys are doing. It's still weird seeing uh, seeing Joe not be affiliated with GBB anymore. But I know, I know you guys are still crushing it. Um, so I'm excited to you know continue to chat up as the year goes on. Um, you can find me on Twitter at MG underscore Schindler. That's where I'm most active. If you enjoy my work and what I do, I have a Patreon. I'm still not technically a full-time worker in basketball. Um, and that helps me be full-time and as active as I am. So any support or uh, anything is greatly appreciated. Awesome. Yeah. And also, if anyone listening to this has hiring power, power for full-time basketball jobs, hashtag hire Mark. He has a lot of great stuff. He's Like I said, he's very versatile. You can cover the NBA cover the WNBA, go into the draft. He can cover he can cover guys like Santi Aldama just as well as he can cover guys like John Morant. So may, make sure y'all are following Mark and all the great work that he's doing. And make sure you follow me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. Check out our work over at grizzlybearblues.com as we are ramping up for year four of Grizz Next Gen. And make sure you're liking, subscribing, downloading the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network so you don't miss a single episode of our five shows. And you can do that wherever you get your podcast. And with that, we'll see you next week.